0: My name is Emma, and I'm an alcoholic. Emma. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and all are welcome to attend. We hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and your understanding. The format of tonight's meeting is two 10-minute speakers, the first of which will speak on the 12th tradition, followed by our information break, and then our main speaker, who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker to share on the 12th tradition is.
1: <laughs> Hi, I'm Karen I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm so grateful to get you to here tonight at my room. I was thinking about um, a few years back in more when I sat with my sponsor at the Tiffany Diner. And those last beautiful phrases of a vision for you sort of were washing away and I sort of felt this huge gratitude and this maybe sense of accomplishment that wasn't mine, but I still felt it. And right after that, she said, next week we'll start studying the tradition. And I thought that sounds terrible. But honestly, I'm so grateful tonight. Thank you, Felicia. This is the long form of the 12th tradition, 12. And finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we are to actually to practice a genuine humility. This to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over all of us. I like to think of it as that Bill put this in there to show us our roles in the program as individuals, as AA members, and how this word anonymity is important to us. Anonymity applies to us all. When we drop our last names, our honorifics, our titles, we're saying that we're all equals here. There's no greater or lesser alcoholic. We are all in the same boat. We're here because we need help, you know, whether we come here from a shelter or rehab or detox, whether we wander in and we're not sure, whether we're at our bottom and we're very sure, whether we live in a penthouse, it doesn't matter. We all have the same thing, and we all came here because we heard that we might get some help. Um, My spouse is in the program, and he always says that the first step presents a problem, powerlessness over alcohol, and that the rest of the steps are the solution to that problem. And it's the same for the traditions, that the first tradition uh, promotes a problem, or tells us about a problem, which is unity. How do we keep this together? How do we... How do we keep the longevity of this program so that it's here for all of us and that the rest of the traditions are the solutions to that problem, how we stay together. The first tradition also, I'm sorry I said that. (laughs) The 12 and 12, um, oh one more thing, the 12 and 12 chapter on the 12th tradition kind of concentrates on three words at first relating to the tradition. The first is sacrifice, which is the forfeiture of something of great value for something of greater value. The second is humility, and some people that were telling me about the tradition said anonymity is humility at one. And humility is, quali- is a quality marked, according to the dictionary, by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude or spirit, not arrogant or prideful. And the third word is restraint, um, which is control or repression of feelings. So, uh, a speaker I listened to on the subject named uh, Dick W said that, to put that all together, sacrifice, restraint, and humility in giving up personal desires and ambitions are the spiritual foundation of all the traditions, ever reminding us to place all of the principles of this great program before the character and/or behavior of its members. Bill makes a bold statement. He says: personal ambition and desires have no place in AA, no big shot. Is In a spiritual sense, anonymity amounts to the renunciation of personal prestige. The spiritual significance of anonymity, according to Terry F., who I asked about this, he's a fellow of ours. He said the spiritual significance of anonymity is service. That the reader or the bathroom garbage emptier are equal to the overall chair or steering committee members. It is the little things we do. It is about ego deflation. We're all here to keep this going. in my first year, I had uh, three commitments that were outdoors. <laughs> I, had, I had one, I was, uh, I was a greeter at the Saturday night meeting in the courtyard. My second one was, uh, I was the, the hustler. I, I, I kind of shoot people away right through the front of the Wednesday church after the meeting so they wouldn't congregate. And the third was, I kept people from smoking in the courtyard of this meeting. And when I first came in, I was so grateful to have these commitments, to have this sense of purpose, to feel a part of. It didn't matter what I was doing, I was so happy to do it. You know, I was so completely amazed by every sober day I had. And then I started to get ideas, you know. (laughs) I started to think, you know, maybe, yeah, next year, this is like, what are we doing next year, time of year, commitment-wise. I thought maybe next year it would be kind of nice to just, like, get an inside commitment. Like, just get in a building. Like, maybe maybe that would be like, a great commitment to have. Like, I kind of would like that. And then I thought, you know, I started to get a little, you know, ambitious, maybe. And I thought, you know, those basket pastors look really official. Like, that's a really important thing. You know, or, that would be kind of a cool commitment to have. And then I got sort of covetous. You know, as the year got closer to the end of the year, I said, you know, boy, that literature table looks pretty sweet. I like books. I can sell a book. <laughs> that looks like a great commitment. And as the year rolled on, it came to be December of my first year, and I got a call from the greeting chair, who said they would be greeting from 6.30 to 6.55. i forgot got to help my ego and self-centeredness, but I was like, all right, you know, cool. And I showed up, I showed up to greet. And I stood in the hallway right there and I wait and I welcomed people. And a little while was that to I noticed this guy asked for me. Um while well, certainly younger than me, he wasn't a kid, and I'm always fascinated sort of to talk to people that got late like I did. And I struck up a conversation and he said, you know, I asked him
0: how much time he said, he, was at third floor. he, was at he said third or four. the He's years. And he was
1: it's
0: a good
1: not, not He was so kind to the newcomer. He was happy to show people where the coffee and cookies he, he was happy to, to show people where the coffee and where the sink were. And I was really humbled in that moment. I thought, okay, he's greeting. That's pretty cool. And then the next week, I met somebody in the greeter group before us that had 40-something years. And also, just one of the kindest people you can meet. Also, just there to make people feel great. And, you know, I learned an important lesson. And honestly, reading is like one of the greatest commitments on earth. I loved reading. I met some of my closest friends in the program reading. I, I got over a year of talking to people I didn't know reading. It was phenomenal. And I learned from those two individuals that the group needed greeters. So they greeted <laughs> Nobody was too big to do anything here. They greeted, and they were happy to do it. And that was a big lesson for me. Bill W. at an international convention in 1960. Um, I think it was in Long Beach said, What a lucky break of that word, anonymity, this deep spiritual bearing of it. That last tradition is most important, is is most intimately and spiritually related to the first, which intrigues us, no matter what our concerns and tenderness for the individual may be, the common welfare comes first. Underlying all these traditions and their several aspects and function is, a deep, is the deep spiritual significance of anonymity. We are all equals here, standing shoulder to shoulder, just trying to secure the destiny of, of this program and just keep it united for the next person that comes along here
0: You know, my, my, um, alcoholism is characterized by control first time, followed by a lack of control every time thereafter. Um, you know, I think that I might have control. I, I think that I might be, you know, having a grasp on the situation. Um, but, you know, like, what it looks like to me is, um, the people who work at, sideboard, know me on a first name basis because I know they're so quickly. Uh, I knew new staff because they weren't there in previous visits. Um, you know, I got my friend it's adorable. He has a um, my uh, contact picture is all of my booking pictures with Jay. Um, so it's like six of them just in a cute little right? thing. So that's adorable. Um, you know and it looks like if you know be able to complete community college, which um, I like to think I'm fairly capable of at least showing up to school, um, which is all I found out in society it took to get done. But, you know, that's what it looks like, right? Like, I I, I can't complete anything in my life because alcohol becomes the primary purpose of my life. Um, The feeling that alcohol gives me is just, like, I can breathe, uh, I can relax, you know, my shoulders go back. I don't feel like I'm any less than anyone around me. I feel like I'm actually better than probably. Um, you know, and, and that feeling is so elusive. Um, and, you know, the big book says it better than I can. So while I'm a bit misinteriorist, I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. So the fact is that my parents keep taking me out of their respective homes. I keep ending up in beautiful gun club jail. Um, Florida, like all of these things I don't see as like, oh I was trying to I was trying to directly before these situations I can't see that because um you know, uh, it's just a marvelous little thing, alcoholism. Um so, you know, when I when I finally decided to get sober, like the last year before I got sober, um, I had turned 20 and I was crying. I couldn't drive my own car. I was praying to misery and depression. I was crying in the backseat of my car. I had decided to talk to my mother again, like the, today. It was my birthday. I figured I'd grace her. Um, and I was just like, I, I told her, like, I can't. Like, you know, it was so debilitating. I was just so depressed. Um, and sure enough, this woman was trying everything possible to get me sober. And I like, I'll pay for X, Y, and Z. I'll do this and that. And I didn't want any of it because I didn't want to be sober at that time. Um, and um, like two months after my birthday, my friend, who was lovingly passing this message um, through her own life, um, she, she had just not had a long-term treatment, and she had invited, me to, you know, invited me to talk about at a gas station um, public enough, I guess, because uh, I was crazy. And um, I saw that she hadn't snuck away into her car to do anything. I, I saw that she wasn't under uh, any influ- uh, influence of anything. Um, and I saw that she was smiling and asking me questions about myself. Um, so, you know, she invited me to make my first, like, 20 meetings, and until June 30th of 2013, those 20 meetings, I was not sober for any of them, but she did not tell me I could she didn't make me feel excluded from this fellowship or from her friends and herself um you know she really at like four five six seven months she exemplified this program amazingly um to the point where it's like i still try and exemplify it to that extent um and finally you know i'm on probation um, and uh i decided to actually stop you know, I actually decided to get sober for probation after the second month, um, um, and there I go. You know, uh, great. Uh, Grace is great because um, in where I'm from, uh, we have this program where uh, for every everything you attend, you get $10 off of your court fund. <laughs> <laughs> My father wasn't so I went to 76 meetings in 90 days, Um, you know, that was just enough. Um, I was using my friend as an a la carte sponsor until February 11th of 2014, when I met my first sponsor, um, who was another powerful example of this program. He had retired from a very good career to make an to his mother and father in South Florida, um, so that instead of putting them in a 24-hour care facility, he would be there along with an assistant aide um, to make these, these people. Um, so, you know, another perfect example. And, that, you know, I met him finally. My friend was ecstatic um, that I would no longer be you know, using her. Um, and, you know, another, another moment of grace is that he lived 45 minutes away from where I did at the time. I would and lie until I did the reading, but I would listen to the audio tape on the way there. Um, sometimes circled work on the park and museum, if I had to finish it, it was a longer chapter. Um, and for whatever reason, it worked. Um, you know, I, I would show up there, I had technically an understanding of the chapter that we were going to read together. Um, and, you know, that's uh, I, I continued on with the steps that way. Um, I've got less than, like, four minutes now, so I'll just get into my first step and then what it's like right now. Um, for me, alcoholism, what I, what I, what I learned then and what I've since believed, um, is that it's a threefold illness. I have a, a disease, um, that centers in my mind, right? And I have this physical allergy, which is typified by an abnormal reaction to an external substance. So, um, the fact that my friends can have alcohol and they, um, have one or two drinks and they stop because alcohol is a toxin and your body's natural reaction is to stop ingesting said toxin um their body listens to them to their mind and they you know they stop however i don't i just continue going and i get this lack of control um so you know i, I it's great because that means that when i was in um the sideboard ward or jail i had stopped and i had arrested that allergy however um me and uh, my disease centers in my mind which is um, shows itself as an obsession so it's uh, typified by a thought that supersedes all of this to the contrary so you know that feeling that I explained of like me resting my shoulders, me relaxing and breathing, I remember that alcohol did that for me the first time I got drunk and I latched onto that and I couldn't see any of the other things that alcohol was doing to me right like failing out of community college four times, um getting kicked out of my father's house too many times um and i couldn't see any of these repercussions um as repercussions um and i have the spiritual disease so it's um uh you know it's just a disconnect with myself with those around me and with the higher power and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's exactly um what it means to solve right that disconnect that i have with the higher power it leads me into the hand of god so that it can solve my problem um, and, yeah, so that's my step one, that's all, you know, if, 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 you take anything away, just take away that you might be an alcoholic if you're here. Um, and, I means to do some work, to, to stop that. Um, yeah, my life in the past nine and a half years has been more than I ever could have anticipated. Been. Uh, yeah, I, Getting this, displunge started with my grandma and then, you know, I used to, when I first moved here, I would go to AG like four days a week. My grandma lived in Roosevelt Island, and as part of my amends, I would just show up for her, right? Um, You know, I would break her out of rehab when she fell down, X, Y, and Z, and, um, you know, she had a stroke a few years ago, and then when I first saw her after that stroke, my father um, jokingly asked for my number, asked her if she remembered my number. Her mind was introduced, um, and she sent the last four digits of my phone number because of how much she could come to rely upon me. Right, like this program showed me how to be accountable, how to show up for people, and how to show love. So much so that you know that that's the relationship I had um, with her. And when she passed away last year, I was able to be the only member to say something. i always been told, like, if you're on the fence about this thing, um, give it a shot for 90 days, and if it doesn't work, your misery will be refunded 100%, so
1: Check issues tonight. I see that?
2: We're not online. No. I always luck out. We're not online. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> um, see you. You. Um, hi, I'm Miriam, an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is July 31st, 1987, and um, I've been coming to Atlantic Group for. Uh, I'm not really great with timeline so I'll just say at least 15 years, but more than that. And uh, Ralina is my sponsor, and um, <laughs> she told me not to say that, but anyway, it's true. <laughs> and she's been my longest sponsor, actually, and uh, also for a little over ten years. And uh, yeah, uh, it's I'm really honored to be here. Thank you again, Ben, for asking me to speak. Um, and yeah, so um, my story. Uh, what I was like as a kid, I was—I um, kind of forgot my water. Yeah. Um, I was uh, pretty. Um, before I started drinking, I was—I uh, had a lot of anxiety, and uh, my parents were not alcoholics, but I, it was a pretty crazy household. like, um, I'm one of six kids, and uh, maybe we're not kids anymore, but anyway. I had five siblings and uh, Italian family and Catholic and a lot of rules and strict and um, a lot of yelling and you know, all of that. So um, by the time I was a teenager I was, you know, just always in fear. I couldn't really, um, I didn't really want to even talk. Um, I was worried about what everybody thought of me. I was worried about, I feel like I could put this down again. I was worried about what people me and I was worried about um, not being perfect, and um, I didn't trust people, you know, I just could see that people were pretty valuable, and, uh, you know, I wasn't, I, I didn't want to rely on anyone, so, um, basically, that's anxiety, and I have a lot of it, and, um, I used to think a lot of things in my head, and they didn't come out of my mouth, and I talked to no one. You know, I was really drawn to alcohol, even though it wasn't really displayed as an ongoing thing in our family. I was drawn to it. And I started to uh, try to get it at, like, family events. I tried to, like, get a sip, sneak a sip, sneak something, you know. And um, I remember getting my first solo drink at a family event. And uh, I like, score, wow. And, uh, and then I started, like, uh, going into my parents' liquor cabinet and taking a little bit of a job at school every day. And uh, uh, after a few days of that, this guy came up to me in class and he said, listen, um, it's really clear that you're going to the bathroom and getting drunk. It's clear because I can smell the blue from across the room. He said, uh, it's clear because you're raising your hand to answer questions which you never do. <laughs> It's weird because you're also slurring your words when you let you stuff. So I was like, I I wasn't saying a word to him, I was just listening to him. And he said, um, and if you keep doing this, people are gonna think you're an alcoholic, and that's not cool. So I had no idea what an alcoholic was, but I just knew it was not cool now. <laughs> so he said, We get me the parking lot lunch, and I did. And uh, he turned me on to weed and he said, this is more conceivable <laughs> and you I, I can do this every day. So I was like, you're my new best friend. And uh, I'm started so we And uh, you know, And then he pulled together this outdoor drinking event and he said, Roots Farm Wine and Mad Dog, you gotta come. And I was like, okay, and I get there and it's the first time I got really wasted. Like I had been tipsy, I had been a little drunk, but I got wasted that day, and uh, those voices were gone. The entire time like I was wasted, I did not hear one of those voices. um, I wasn't afraid of what I said, and I said anything that came to mind, and I wasn't afraid of what anybody thought of me. In fact, I think I was telling people, certain people, that I didn't really like them.
0: (laughs) And uh, people thought I was very funny.
2: And um the next day I thought that first of all it felt like a pure freedom to me to not be like so worried about everything. And then the next day I was like, that was like the best vacation I ever had. And um I don't know why people don't do this ever again. You know, it seemed like <laughs> necessary even. Um But I couldn't get to it every day because my parents were really strict and we lived like 20 minutes from the nearest town in New York. And um, I started to, um, you know, lie and uh, make promises I knew I was going to keep, make promises I knew I was going to break in a few hours, you know. Yes, I'll be home at 11.30, Um, you know. Stuff like that. And um, my parents and I started arguing a lot. And after about a year in that I, I was graduating. I had just graduated high school. And I broke yet another curfew. And um, they woke me up early. And um, they put a suitcase in front of me. And my siblings were all open. Up. And they said, You either have to follow this longer list. I mean, they didn't say longer list of rules, but they read this list of rules, which was more severe than the, what was going mm-hmm. on prior to that. So I was like, and, uh, or you have to leave immediately. And I took the leave immediately option. And we did with some friends of mine who had an apartment. And I was like, thrilled. <laughs> i sorry. I wasn't so happy that they were kicking me out at it, 17 years old. So, but, uh, so, I was mad at them, but I was really happy to be out. And I started to, um, I had no restrictions, so I started to drink daily. And um, the progression was two weeks later, I remember saying to somebody, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was sleeping on the couch in these people's apartment. I didn't care. I loved it. I was drinking every day. I loved it. And, uh, and about a month later, um, I was really wasted on night, and I thought, if I keep drinking, this, I'm going kind to of become an alcoholic. I still didn't know what an alcoholic was, I just you knew it wasn't cool, and, uh, you know, there I was. Um, pretty wasted, and, you know, I also didn't know that I was already an alcoholic. But, um, I kept drinking, and... A few more months went by and I woke up with it and I thought, you know, a lot of bad things are happening to me. And I was like, man, maybe it's not a lot of bad things. I maybe mean, it's just like three bad things, but it feels big on my head. Let me write it out. And I get out a piece of paper and I write one bad thing line. And I fill up three quarters of the page and I'm like, oh, it's a lot. And then I look at it like, okay, what's the common theme here? And uh, it was like an epiphany. Oh, alcohol. Like, I drank every day. Of course it was alcohol, but anyway. I, uh, I started, like, I was 18 years old at that point, and I started realizing that I needed to cut back. And, uh, you know, I was not successful with cutting back, and uh, I kept thinking, like, oh, I won't drink tonight, and then I guess you are, and I'd be like, i got a drink, you know? <laughs> These people
0: are annoying me, you know? So it was everybody else's fault that I had a drink. was always a
2: situation, um so, boring here, I got a drink. So, I, uh, things got worse, and then I just decided like, they got a bad one, but I decided I could move back home. Um, I also got a job that was kind of a good job, and I knew I wanted to continue with that job, so maybe I, I should get home then. Um, yeah, so then. Um, when I moved home, I realized, like, I'm not going to be able to drink the way i like to drink in front of my parents. I don't really drink, and, um, so I decided to not drink. They weren't giving me any rules. They were, like, thrilled to have me back, but I was like, I'll, I'll quit drinking for this period of time. And the only way I could accomplish that was I, I, uh, dropped all of my friends, and I just went to work, and I came home and went straight to my bedroom, and I stayed in my bedroom until, Everybody else in the house was asleep and then i would go downstairs because to eat and go back up and then go to work the next day. And um, it, it was the only way I could accomplish it. And uh, I wasn't really happy. I was pretty angry. My um, family, uh, my sister lived here in Manhattan, and I started visiting her of the weekends. And she said, oh, look at this temp agency. You can all Philo being a job. And they offered me, like, more money for an easier job. And that I was gonna to have to train. So um, but I was really, I also understood that Manhattan, um, I mean it was the 80s, so it was a little Kind of like now. And uh, and uh, you know, I, I realized I was gonna to have to figure out a way to really cut back. And um, you know, I kept layering different kinds of controls over other controls. Like if something didn't work, I didn't get rid of it, I just kept adding more in. And um, Finally, I, uh, I found this really good one. My company, the uh, company I worked for, would pay for schooling and uh, you just had to pass. It had to get a passing grade. If you didn't get a passing grade, you will not have the money back. So I thought, well, oh, that's free money and you know, that would keep me busy. And uh, I signed up for college at night and I started taking, like, there was an accelerated program, so I was sort of doing a full-time schedule at night, working during the day. I joined a gym, I started going to the gym five days a week. And uh, things started getting better. I forced myself into periodic drinking, basically, um, because I had to read a lot of books and write a lot of papers and study for a lot of tests. But I used to wake up every day and be like, I can't drink today because um, I had to go to work and go to school. But, uh, you know, I basically had this conversation every single morning about why I couldn't drink today and when I could drink. I had a party in three weeks, so I'll be able to drink there. it was just to calm all the anxiety I had about not drinking. <laughs> and um, so finally, I, um, and that's kind of how I rolled until, uh, until I came to AA. Um, but things started to get better. I mean, uh, I wasn't drinking as much, and, you know, I was getting promoted at work, I was getting really fit from the gym, you know, uh, things were going well. And um, I, uh, yeah, I started to... Um, people would ask me what I was going to college for, back then, I would say to stay out of the trouble, and that was the truth. That right? <laughs> was really... I didn't have goals. I didn't, you know, as a drinker. I, you know, what I thought is, you go to work to make money, so you can drink. Um, I didn't really have any plans, and, you know, so um, maybe I'll get married, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh,
0: yeah, so I started to... Um,
2: I was, just before I came to AA, I was up for another promotion, and um, you know they told me I was in the shoe in, and I was going to get it, and I was going to be managing this new department. I started to get a little afraid that my behavior uh, wasn't, you know, managerial enough for this very conservative corporation that I worked for. And um, we had parties at work, and you know I always had to worry after. You know, the, when I did get wasted once every few weeks, I would be like. Asking people the next day, what did I do? How did I look? You know, um, did I seem sloppy? Did I, you know, did I look like an alcohol? You know, um, and did uh, I scene? Um, I had this list of questions. How did I get home last night? I was blacking out all the time. So um, I, I uh, what got me that eight days basically um, my horrendous love life, and uh, I. I had uh, I met this guy, he checked all my boxes. My boxes were not great boxes, but he checked all those boxes. I mean, I had a ridiculous stuff, like, he had to be this tall, with dark hair, I mean, stupid. But anyway, he checked every box, um, he had the right job. So, um, I meet him and both, like, like, on the first date, like, this is great, you know, and we're ready to, you know. He's like, when can I see you again? <laughs> I don't know, like two days, um, and, uh, you know, I, within a week, I decided that he's the I'm gonna marry him, and, um, you know, in a few more weeks, I started to see, like, he's, he's, um, you know, there's something wrong here, It's not that great, um, he doesn't really spend enough time with me, and he's not really, like, very attentive, and he's, you know, there's some things that are wrong here, you know, so, um, I said to him at one point, oh, "Well, these me." I think I, I remember listening like five things, and he said, "Oh, this one of those things wasn't a priority for me." So I was like, "Yeah, okay." So um, I broke up with him because I felt like he needed to mature, and even though he was like a decade older than me, he needed to mature. And uh, and I met somebody else right around and I met a really nice guy. He was so <laughs> sweet, and uh, I went. Um, I started hanging out with him. and, uh, You know, he did he did everything I wanted him to do. He would do anything for me. He begged me to marry him. He was like a sweet guy. I really loved him. Um, and, you know, I still wanted that fantasy box checker guy, you know? And, um, and I continued to stay in touch with him. And I found out one day that uh, the other guy was engaged to somebody else. And I got really sad and I cried for like three days and then I pulled myself together and said, I can get the guy back. I just, you know, why he didn't want me because I'm not perfect enough and if I, you know, what's not perfect about me is my drinking and if I could just stop drinking, I could get it back and that was my goal and um, I said, you know, if I can't do this on my own, I'll, um, I'll get help. I didn't say what that was but, I. you know, just had it out there, and uh, you know I slipped once, so like, not bad. I slipped twice, okay, fine. So I, the third time, it's like I couldn't even justify it. I did everything I wasn't supposed to do. I did, I made a scene. I, mean, you know, I, I, I kept telling this one girl at the party she was so skinny, and she was like, "Don't call me skinny. i like, I don't want like to be called cool that." And I was like. You should love being called skinny. I wish I was skinny. You know, I couldn't stop saying that word. <laughs> and then, uh,
1: The last thing I said to her is, you're so
2: skinny. I you up over my head and twirl you around. And she goes, do it. And I said, do it. And she, I don't like heels, stockings, a skirt, a blouse, with a bow, a jacket, you know. I was working for corporate America, and we were in the building. And she ran at me, and I just, hmm, lifted it up, <laughs> WWS style, I started talking her around. I'm, I'm basically panning the crowd, everybody's jaws
1: is right? <laughs> you know, but I just thought it was funny. Like, I brought so much
2: needed lovely, this is not why I came to AA, it's like, I you know, it's some lovely, to this boring party. And um, then I was like laughing so hard, I split my skirt down the back, like, <laughs> like now with a split, like six inch split, then I just tied my jacket around my waist and kept drinking. And, uh, you know, I, then I got vomited in the men's room because the women's room was too far away. And, uh, by the way, like, I always need the boyfriend to get me home safe. So, you know, I had invited my boyfriend to this party. And, uh, <laughs> he was fine. He was always, he was a good Alan Archer. Um, and, and then I slipped out of the party until go called the ass. And when I did that, I started hearing these voices like, you don't want this guy to know you're drinking, why are you calling him? And this other voice said, she's not calling him, the alcohol is calling him. And the first voice said, you're going to hate yourself in the morning. And the second voice said, it's not morning. And I looked at my fingers, pressing those arms, and I knew I couldn't stop him, and I knew it was the alcohol. And then, he just picked up the up like I can't talk a clip. So, I thought, oh my god, it was me. He doesn't know he knows Absolutely. I was drunk. He doesn't want really to <laughs> talk to me. But, you know, maybe he was sitting in front of his fiance or something. I don't know. Whatever. Um, so just then my boyfriend walks out and goes, Honey, what's the matter? Because I'm looking at the phone in heart. And I'm thinking, as I move, I'm slowly turning my head to him, I'm thinking, I need a really big distracting line to tell him so that he doesn't know you know what I was doing and there like, lies are racing through my head, and I'm like, oh, that's what we And I go, I'm an alcoholic and I need help, huh? <laughs> And he gasped, and then I gasped, and then she said, honey, you're not know, an alcoholic, and I was like, wait a minute. And it's like, as soon as I heard that phrase in the air, um, I it was true. and I was like, it's true, I'm an alcoholic and I need help, you know, and like, so, I got to go to AA that night. AA was like, this is 35 years ago. It was like a secret society. I had no idea what I was getting into. So um, when I called into group, they were like, where do you live? Oh, I'm like, they're, they're going to come try to get me. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was like, just find me a meeting on the Upper East Side. I don't know who the town was. Upper East Side. Um, <laughs> and then I, I went to that, and uh, I thought it was pretty fascinating listening to that speaker. And then um, they went to break and they counted kind of days, and I was like, oh, you took a few days off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> do that. And then uh, they did anniversaries, and I was like, nope, we're not coming back. And I instantly, when I heard like I heard somebody say nine years, I turned around and looked at the exit. And I felt like people were blocking it, you know, that <laughs> they weren't gonna let me out. And, uh, and so I, and then they said literature table and I went there and I picked up a lot of literature and I um, thought this is it, I'll we'll read this stuff, I'll be fine, I'm not coming back. And they didn't circle me in know, I stayed for the meeting just to be quiet. And then uh, outside they uh, they talked to me and they were like surrounding me. And uh, they asked me to go to a diner and um, I said yes to be quiet, even though i have never gone to a diner before. And I said, um, I don't, you know, I was trying to let him down. I don't know if I'm really an alcoholic. I knew I was, by the way. And they said, Well, what was your last drink? And I said, Lunch. <laughs> and they said, All right, well, uh, you don't have to drink tonight. And when this guy said that to me, I thought in my head, You know what? I really don't feel like drinking tonight. And um, that's unusual. And, uh, Maybe that came because I went to that meeting. Maybe I'm having this film because I went to that meeting. So I decided to do that 90-day thing, Like, not the ridiculous 90 meetings in 90 days, which, you know, that's how I thought about that. that ridiculous. And, uh, but, you know, I'd go to i I try it for 90 days. And, um, pretty early on I realized, yeah, I do need this. I am an alcoholic, and I'm going to stick around. Um, maybe not forever, but I'll stick around too. So, um, I started going to meetings, I, uh, eventually, um, you know, I, I was not any kind of a complete cloud in early sobriety. I, I, broke up with the current boyfriend in like a week because I knew I wasn't late. um, you know. I, it wasn't nice that what I was doing with him, you know, I wasn't, he wanted more than I wanted to. So, um, and then I met up with the other guy, and I said, listen, you know, I did it. I stopped drinking. I joined AA. I'm not going to drink anymore. And the guy, like, says, the worst thing I
1: could possibly hear, Mary,
2: are you trying?
1: <laughs> She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> but I did hide it from him, so, but
2: I figured that he figured it out. And that was, like, terrible, because then I was really depressed. And then, um... Two weeks later from that, some AA guy at a dance, I think it might have even been in this building, uh, said, uh, you know, explain that or whatever. That, he said you couldn't be high and sober at the same time because I told him I would still smoking pot. And I said uh, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. I said, That's not what that means. And I was like, yes, it is. And he was like, no, she's like, tell your sponsor. So I did, and she started yelling at me, and I was like, she's oh, help. And then, and then it, it, you know, that wasn't as easy to get down, the loser got down right away, but the other one took me a while. And uh, I came in in March, my anniversary is July, and uh, yeah, so I mentioned it out there, and uh. AA has been the best decision I ever made, it took me a long time, you know, people used to say to me that nobody thought I was going to make it when I was, like, a newcomer because I was really thrilled, you know, and uh, people would say, you are not going to make it, and they're, That's my face, you know, <laughs> I'm not worried about that, and, um, and uh, I remember crying at my first anniversary, because I was like, oh my god, I'm still here, I'm probably really an alcoholic, and, um, and people were like, oh, it's so good to see you crying tears of joy. I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, you know, I started, uh, I got a new sponsor He started reading the book with me. I don't remember the first meeting I told those people I'm not doing any of those steps with God in them. And, uh, you know, I knew I was powerless over the alcohol because I had spent a long time trying to control it. So I knew I was powerless, but the 2 and three, I really, you know, he explained that I just needed some h- a higher power that was not me, and that made sense, and, uh, you know, what they say about the, the director, you know, this I was really stressed out, because I felt like I had to do all of that, so, I, uh, I did start, um, you know, prayer, getting there, and getting around to that, so, uh, and then I did my course, uh, thank you, and, uh, and as I wrote page after page, I thought, I'm not telling this stuff to a guy, and, and i had a female sponsor. i let him know, you know, why. And, um, and I did my fist step. And when I did that this step, I had talked to this sponsor about stuff I hadn't really told anybody. Most of it was stuff I hadn't told anybody. So it was really bottomed up inside of me. And the relief I had from doing the this step was, i like, Awesome and I felt like I was fifteen pounds lighter that day and I felt like I was floating. And uh, you know, then I she left town right after that I we did the six-step prayer and she left town she moved away shortly thereafter, and you know, went through sponsors one after the other, and I finally got a sponsor that took me through the rest of the steps. Um she did a great, like she really helped me with the men's with my parents were the hardest in mens for me. And um, we started with the Living events, and then I got to that got me to direct events. Um, and part of it was just like I was really estranged from my family. I went to family events, but my I wasn't really present. And uh, I felt like an angry all the time there. And I started just showing up and trying to help, but the new events was to call them once in a while. <laughs> Pretend <laughs> didn't do it at all. And, um, so I started calling them. I said, "Well, the most I can do is once a month." And you know, then you know, I got more and more often. And then one day I just said, "I love you." And we—I didn't, well, I didn't hear that the whole time I was growing up. So that was like a weird thing to have slipped out of my mouth. And uh, I didn't even feel like it was true. But um, but they were thrilled, and uh, they said that right away. Um, you know, the eyes started to melt, and our relationship. Uh, you know eight a is um, you know today I do have goals and ambitions um, I have um, I have this program to maintain my sobriety I love the tenth step it's my favorite step. and I do it often um, almost every day but not sometimes I miss it but um it's it's just a real growth step and if you're not doing to get through it because it's the best um, it's like I, I you know that I will you know trust God clean house help others clean house that's what that is and um, I feel like my apartment is always a good measure of my sobriety when I start letting it get messy like something's troubling me mm-hmm. and uh, in order to maintain it I really have to do an inventory you know even if I have everything organized if I organize something I might have to go in and have another six months or a year and reorganize it and go through it you know and it's the same thing. Um, with my sobriety. And, you know, I've got so, it's hard for me to put in words what I've gotten of this program, but, you know, certainly a huge reduction in anxiety. And um, I, I do not crave alcohol, drugs, anything, nothing. And uh, I have my relationships with my family. And I got to, um, I had this epiphany one day about work where I was turning my work, my career, every time I. Moved from one job to another. I kind of ins- installed my family in there. Like my bosses were always like my parents, and I was fighting. I had a mean sister, and I had the brothers that I fought with, and the parents were trying to like not really help me, but just controlling me. And I just you know I would do that in every place I went. Not gonna have this, have because of the step work that. These people are not my family, they're not even my friends, they're just my colleagues, and I need to be more professional. And I started going to work as a good morning to everybody and just putting my nose to the mindstone. And my mentor called me in after about a few months of this and she said, in therapy or something? Yeah, like <laughs> my, I don't know why. And she said um, she said, you know, you're changed change for the better, but you know, I just want to let you know we appreciate it. And, you know, that's, you know, I got into a job, I was doing, the work I was doing, I didn't really love, and uh, I do a job that I really like, you now most of the time, and sometimes it's a little, work is working. so, but, um, if you're new, um, you know, one of the things I did when I was early on was I kind of thought about leaving a lot, because I listened to the people who talked about sleeping, and uh, I was always hoping for a good story, and uh, I never heard one. So I was able to uh, keep sticking around. They sort of scared me into sticking around. And um, this is one of the best meetings I've gone to, and it's a, it's a great program. I hope you'll keep coming back. Thanks. My name is Matt, and I'm an alcoholic of the Atlantic group, let's thank tonight's speakers, Karen, Jonathan, and Mary.